Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you this fine Sunday. I apologize for my absence last week. I was I woke up at 5:30 and um, was like feeling feeling ill, and so I started taking some pills. I took a couple pills and thought maybe this will help take the aching and my headache away. And went and laid down for a little bit, and that didn't help. So. Uh, I went and took a couple more pills, thinking maybe that'll help, and that didn't help, so I took another pill, and then I tried to get up the third time, and I fell to the floor, and I was like, maybe I should stop taking pills at this point in time. And so uh, I appreciate Mike and everybody in filling in for, for me in my absence, and I appreciate your graciousness as uh, we deal with the you know, last-minute sickness that came upon, but I'm sure I'm absolutely 100% positive that whatever spirit was in me last week, you don't want in you this week. So... Uh, we gave you a little time on that. I do want to make uh, one announcement. I, I, I hate to be the one to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, yesterday George Camp, Champ did pass away. And uh, so we don't have any other details on that. He, we haven't had any contact from uh, other than from the funeral home that he has passed or no contact from his family on services. But I wanted to make you aware so you could be praying for uh, his family as they prepare for this funeral and, and as we celebrate the life of such a faithful, faithful servant of God and continue to pray for the family of Faye Wildman as her funeral service was earlier this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to turn our attention to the word of the Lord this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for your great love with which you love us. God, we thank you, though we do, as your word says, walk in the valley of the shadow of death, though we are constantly reminded of the frailty and fragility of our lives and the brevity of life. God, that we are also reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness. That we, God, are remembered that, reminded that, that you are always by our side, that you are always with us, Wherever we go, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you have gone to prepare a place for us. And so, God, we confess our faith in you today. We profess our love for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we want to proclaim our gratitude for your saving grace in our lives. God, I pray that you would speak in and through me this morning, Lord, that you would be with my voice and give it strength, and Lord, that you would use your words today to move your people for your purposes and plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something a little different than what I normally do. I'm going to read the passage first, and then we're going to jump into some introductory remarks. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. And the wall has been completed. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And they have, they have come together and they've had the, this big worship service and celebration. And they, they've, they've spent a great deal of time, if you remember, standing outside with a big uh, platform that had been created. And they stood out there and listened for hours as the, the Word of God was read to them and explained to them. And it convicted their hearts and it moved them to, to mourning. It moved them to sorrow and they were corrected that they should be moved to gladness because of the goodness and grace of God. And soon thereafter we come upon these verses. Now I'm going to read Nehemiah 9.38 through um, 9.38 and then I'm going to jump ahead to Nehemiah 10.28 through 29. So Nehemiah 9.38 says, In a view of all of this, 
we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. The rest of the people, verse 28, the rest of the people, the Levite, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. Find that interesting that they come to the end of all of this working, that they've done all of this work together, and, and they've come together as this corporate community, this corporate group, to do this big work, and, and they, they come to the word of the Lord, and they understand how great God is and, and what God has done for them, and in response to that, they feel it is necessary for them to create what is, according to the passage, a binding agreement between one another and the Lord. I don't know, I don't know how, you, how this works for you in your house, but I've got a lot of different documents around my house and in my office that have signatures affixed to them. You know, in, in our American culture, our signature is pretty important, right? Like if you look on the back of your credit card, you're supposed to sign your name, and there, at one point in time, we're supposed to look at the back of that, and you could sign, and they would check to make sure that the signatures match, because our signatures are, are affixed to who we are, and, and it's our name, and, and so it, it's, it's our, our word. Our honor is our word, right? Our bond is our word. I have several things that have signatures affixed to them that, that constitute an agreement between myself and various organizations or people that, that provide then certain responsibilities to me and certain responsibilities to them. Th- this is my ordination council certificate. It normally hangs in my office on this side, and, and I remember the day that I got this, and, and in order to go through the ordination, you know, there's my, my signature is up at the top, but then you have a bunch of other signatures that are down below. Now, this, this, this document is pretty important because it's not just a promise to me. Like, it does say that I was set apart for the gospel for them to be a minister of Christ. So there's, there's a sense where the document is for me, saying, hey, yeah, we, we affirm that you are qualified and that you have been trained and you have the background information to do these certain jobs, right? That's what it says. But it's also a promise or, or a statement to you as a congregation that, hey, This guy has gone through this process, and we've vetted him. We've asked him a bunch of questions, and he's written a bunch of papers for us. And he he sat in front of this this council that has questioned and evaluated him. And we are going to affix our signatures to this as as our word to you that this person can be trusted. That this person will lead you in the right way, right? That's what this document is. That's all of these these men that have signed this document are, are making that statement to you we have another one over here this one i won't lie to you is my favorite and that's going to get me in trouble in just a minute here but this is i know some of you have wondered like where did dr myers get his doctorate from you know probably university of mickey mouse online um there is no mouse on this document (laughs) This is from Palmer Theological Seminary, and it's got my name on it, and affixed to it are some trustees and the president and the dean of the seminary and the president of Eastern University. And this is, is a promise to me, and, and also I would argue an agreement from me to them that, that I, I will utilize the knowledge that they gave me, and it's them saying that I am certified to do the things that someone with said amount of 
learning or education is, is supposed to do, right? This opens up doors, this creates relationships, and allows me to move and work in certain ways. But it also, and it, it has a responsibility that the seminary has followed through with, but it also gives me responsibilities that I then have to be faithful to, correct? It goes both ways. Maybe that one doesn't make sense. This one will. This sits in a lockbox at my house. You know what this is? This is my marriage certificate, right? And on, on this certificate, it's got a whole bunch of hereby and therefores and whereby's, and it's, it's got my name, and it's got Robin's name, and it's got signatures throughout, and at the bottom, verifying with this little seal. This is our actual decorative one. We didn't bring the real one. Um, but the, th- this certifies, and this, is, this constitutes a promise between Robin and I, a legally binding document that I am promising to her, and she is promising to me that we will walk through this life together, we will share our possessions, and that we will be faithful to one another, that, that she can have faith in me and I can have faith in her, and it is signed by other witnesses who say, yes, I am, a, I am affixing my name and seal to this saying that I, I will first of all verify that you have made this promise, but also that I will walk with you in this promise, right? That, that's what it's intended for. And, and you and I run into a variety of documents every day where we're expected to fix, affix our signature to them, and they constitute an agreement, an arrangement, a relationship of good trust and faith between one person or entity and another. And we see here in the book of Nehemiah just such a document being created. I find it interesting that the people are so moved by their experience of worship and they are so mobilized and motivated, they are so convicted in their heart, they are so inspired by what they, by what they see in the Word and what they know of who they have been as a people in the past and in the present, that they are moved to, to, to do this amazing act of worship. They create a contract. Because nothing says, I'm excited about the Lord, like a contract. But that's what they do. It tells us there at the end of of chapter 9, in view of all this, and we're going to talk about what all this is. It says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seal to it. So what does all this tell us about faith? What does this, all tell, what does this tell us about the work that we're trying to do for the Lord and, and, and the lives that we're trying to build for the Lord and the community that we're trying to reach for the Lord? How does this apply to us today? Well, it tells us several things about faith and faithfulness in our relationship to the Lord and His relationship to us. First, I'd like us to consider as we look at this passage that faith is a promise. Faith is is a promise. If you got your notes, that's your first point in your little fill-in-the-blank thing. Faith is a promise. Now, these people are moved because they are reminded by the promise of God. Is our relationship with the Lord not all predicated on the fact that He has made a promise to us? Through the work and person of Jesus Christ, that He promises us this great and many things, and that He promises us that if, if we will turn to Him, that He will be our God, right? That's the first half of the promise, that I will be your God. I will care for you, I will guide, for, guide you, I will lead you, but also He asks a return promise from us, and you will be my people. There, there's a two-way thing. 
We often like to think of the promises of God as being this one-way thing. And don't get me wrong. It is about the grace of God. It is about His work. It is by His hand. He is the one who does it all. And even when we fail, He still succeeds, praise God. But He still expects us to make an effort in faithfulness to follow Him. To, to be sanctified. To be holy. To be His particular people. To be set apart. We see in this passage that it's exposure to an understanding of the Word of God. That, that this stirs something within the hearts of the people. It, it moves them. Now what is faith other than a demonstration of an understanding of God's promise to us and our movement into that promise? Is that not what it is? That, that faith is, is a hearing. Faith comes by hearing right and and belief comes by hearing and it's the word of god that we need to hear and as we hear it we we are exposed to the expectations of god as well as the execution of what the lord does on our behalf and in the world and we are able to live and move in that now nehemiah 9 gives us a detailed list of god's laws and promises and his provision for his people but it's also a detailed list of the failure of God's people to do as they were told and as they said they would do. I won't read it all to you. It gets kind of arduous, but what you read throughout the, the chapter of Nehemiah 9 is a, a, the, the list of the failings of the people of God, specifically looking back to the, the exodus as they came out of Egypt, moving into the present. And the people enumerate, this is how many different ways that we have fallen off the proverbial wagon in our attempt to follow and be faithful to the Lord. And it's interesting because sprinkled throughout the, the list of failures of the people of God is the monument to the faithfulness of God himself. God, we weren't faithful, but you were. God, we messed this thing up, but you've always held firm. God, we didn't do what we said we would do, but you, in fact, did. I've actually listed them out here so that I could just give you a brief notated version. But we see through these, these verses in chapter 9 that God has always been faithful to his people. God has always been faithful to his people. God never fails. Chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, we see that God called his people from among the nations to be his people of promise, that God makes his initial promise to his people, that if you come out from your fathers, Abram, I'm going to make you this great nation, and you're going to be a particular people from me. There's a drawing out, a response that's necessary. In, in chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, it says that God saw the suffering of his people and the slavery of Egypt and saved them through his powerful works, through his mighty hand. God sees their reality, and he steps into human history to alleviate their suffering. Chapter 9, verses 13 through 14, it tells us that God revealed himself to his people through his guiding presence and through providing his word. That, that God, God physically was there for them in the cloud and the fire, and he, he made his presence known on, on the mountain. And the people didn't want to go up to the mountain. Remember, if you think about it, they, they didn't want to go up there. They didn't want to hear from God anymore. Just, Moses, you do it and you bring it to us. So Moses like, okay. Moses goes up onto the mountain. God gives them the t him the tablets and the word comes down. And they have on these stone tablets the very word of the Lord. Verse 15 tells us that God provided for their needs as they followed him. 
to the promised land. Verses 22 through 25, God gave people possession of the fulfillment of the promise he had made through their conquest of the promised land. Verse 27, God rescued his people from the results of their own sins and wickedness. Verse 32, God is the great God who, in spite of the continued failures of his people, continues to keep his promise. I would, I would argue that not only is this true in Nehemiah chapter 9, but Nehemiah is a reminder for you and I today that God, throughout the scripture and throughout history, has been faithful to his people again and again and again and again. And he will continue to be faithful to us as we move into the future over and over and over again because that is the God we serve. Throughout God's word, we see numerous examples of his patience. We see his forgiveness and his restoration of his people and his provision to not only make his promise available to us, but to continually draw us into it. God is, if nothing else, faithful. But we notice as we look at these verses, if we were to read through it, that God's people continually fail to keep up their end of the bargain. They continually fail to do what is necessary to live in said promise. Chapter 9, verse 16, we see that the people of God stubbornly refused to follow God and went their own way. Even in that context, choosing to go back to slavery rather than following God through the unknown to the promise he had for them. Verse 17, the people of God rebelled and attempted to return to the land and went their own way, did their own thing. Verse 18, the people of God served gods made with their own hands. Verse 26, they turned their backs on God's laws. They ignored what God had told them and commanded them and did their own thing again. Verse 26, they killed the prophets God had sent them to call them to repentance and to remind them of his many promises. Over and over again, the people of God forgot the faithfulness of God and failed to follow through on their end of the promise. Once again, this is true for us. That we again and again become impatient that God does not move in the way that we want him to into the timing that he wants us to. And so we become impatient and attempt to do it on our own. Or we pursue our own selfish desires to fulfill our own needs and wants regardless of the truth that we know and the consequences that that may carry. And over and over again, we go our own way. And the people recognize this in chapter 9. They recognize the faithfulness of God and their own failures. And they realize that in order to move forward, they've got to move beyond the failures of the past. They've got to move beyond their own failure in the present if they are going to follow God into the promise of the future. We cannot dwell upon good or bad in the past. We cannot dwell upon the moment that we're in because the moment that is before us will come. And we must constantly prepare ourselves to follow God in faithfulness into whatever lies ahead. The people recognize this. Verses 36 and 37 of chapter 9, it says, But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit 
and the good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Do you know what they say there? I found that very interesting as I read through chapters 9 and 10. As they go through chapter 9 and they point to the reality of the failures of the past. Back then they did this. Our ancestors failed in this way. They didn't do this. But when they come to the the point of reckoning, they look at the reality and they say, and we're no better. We failed in the same way. Because of our sins, we find ourselves in slavery today. Because of our sins, we are sending the good things that that God has given to us to others. It's because of our sins, God. We confess that we have failed you. I would argue that we must each take responsibility for the reality of our lives and the part we played to get ourselves there. We must own our failure in the moment if we are to move into the promise of the future. But in verse 38, we see things shift. And in view of God's faithfulness throughout their history, the people renew their promise to faithfully follow the Lord into the future he would have them build. Remember, they had just built this wall, and the physical wall they had built reminded them of the faithfulness of God. They, they had done this amazing thing in such a short period of time, and God had brought the people from the nations home. They were finally in their land again, and they can see the potential of the future, and they're reminded of the truth of the word, and they, the word of the Lord, and they realize the path forward is through that word. And so they renew their faith. They renew their commitment to that. Notice who doesn't renew his promise in the context of this passage. The Lord. And there's no need for the Lord to renew his promise because he never stopped following through on it. The promise was still good. The promise was still there. He was still offering it to them. Their their movement in this moment in rededicating themselves to the Lord is in direct response to God demonstrating his faithfulness to his promise right then and there. But faith is a promise. It is a promise from the Lord to us. And then our joining in relationship to him, making a promise back to him. But faith is not only a promise, faith is meant to be practiced. You know, these, these things that hang on the wall or, or sit in, you know, lock boxes are only of good if I'm willing to follow through on them. My signature on a paper doesn't mean much, does it? Unless I'm willing to put actions behind the signature. If I'm willing to let my life follow with what my hand commits myself to. One of the things that I see in this passage, though, is that faith is not just an individual thing, but it's a family affair. Faith is not just a me personal thing, but it's meant to be all of us, that the the family joins in on this. And I would argue that this is true. We we see this in both the, the nuclear family as homes in this passage, but also the corporate family of the community and and the congregation at large. We see that in chapter 10. Verses 1 and following, but then verse 28, we see that that there are 
these lists of names, right? We see a particular group of people that come to the front in verses 1 through 27, and they affix their seals to the to the, the documents. They, these are leaders. These are teachers. These are those that are up front of the people on a regular basis, you know, giving them the vision and, and guiding them forward. But it doesn't stop with them. Only a select few signed, but everybody was expected to support and submit to the agreement. Verse 28 says, The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites and bind themselves. So it wasn't just the select few that were expected to follow through and then enforce this upon others. No, 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 no. It was all of the people who could understand. And what does that refer to? But the the people who had stood out for hour upon hour upon hour upon hour and heard the word of the Lord and understood it in their hearts. And they're all saying, yes and amen, we are with you. Let's go. We will submit ourselves to the word of God. We, We will faithfully try to follow and move forward in his promise. We will renew our relationship with our God. Faith is best understood, applied in community with others. And if we are going to be accountable, it will be through public acknowledgement of our faith to one another and a humility to say, I will allow you to walk with me as we move towards the Lord. Those who could understand were allowed to hear and were expected to act accordingly. For those of us who know more, it it is our job as parents, as aunts, as uncles, as grandparents, as brothers, as sisters, as teachers, as leaders, to consistently encourage those who would come behind us to join us in our walk with the Lord. Faith is meant to be a family affair. But faith is founded upon the word of the Lord, the word of God. We see that in verse 28, that their promise, their agreement was made for the sake of the law of God. The promise is made for the purpose of reminding them to live the law of God. It was the living word that differentiated them from the nations around them. The truth of their lives pointed to the God they followed. In our context today, it's the same. We are to be a different, a peculiar, a separated people. And that doesn't mean that we we don't interact with those who who aren't like us, those who aren't Christians. No, as a matter of fact, I would argue that that we interact with them all the more. But our lives should be such, as we align them with the truth of this book, that people see in us a difference and they understand and ask about the hope that we are living. I believe that this word is the authoritative, infallible word of God. I believe that this is the authority for all things that pertain to practice and godliness in our lives. I believe that this book holds the final word. And that's the agreement, that's the, that's the conviction that these people are coming to. That the word of God is now going to be the thing to which they affix their lives and through which they align their lives in order to live in the promise of God. The same is true for us today. But the promise of the people was meant not just to be some 
arbitrary document that sat somewhere, but it was to move them from understanding to application. I was so excited the first time that, that I got to go from classroom setting to whitewater raft guide. You know, we, we had sat in class and we had to read this. I can bring it in here. It's, it's by Jib Ellison. It's called Basics of Whitewater Rafting. And it's just as exciting as it sounds. And so we, we sat in class and we read several chapters of this book and they explained to us the various fundamentals of whitewater rafting. And about two days into class, I was like, I am good to go. Let's go out on the river and do this thing. I was excited to paddle the river. I read the book. I understood the basic mechanics of how it works. And, and it, really, it's simple. Like, how difficult can whitewater rafting be, right? Here's the basic mechanics of it. Water starts up on top of the mountain. It needs to go somewhere. So it flushes down the river. The basic idea and premise of whitewater rafting is this. As you put the boat in the water, you point the boat where the water is going, and you go. Right? Simple enough. This is not difficult. This is not rocket science. So I was ready to do it. And as we were going out as a class the first, first couple of weeks, the instructor asked if one of us wanted to guide through the second rapid, and I, I was so on it. I was ready. So we got up to the edge of the rapid, and I looked down the rapid, and I started reading the water. That's the first step, and trying to figure out where the danger points are, because as the water, just like on a highway, you want to avoid the tires and avoid, you know, the, the parked cars, and so you, you want to avoid the pedestrians, and so you want to make your way down the water. So I'm reading the water, and I look for a few minutes, and I think I see it all, and I'm like, let's go. Let's jump in the boat. So we jump in the boat, and we start down the river. Not really a hard rapid, second warm-up can't be that difficult and we hit the rapid and we we paddle and I remember there was the first wave there and so we paddled our way over the first wave and we're like yeah good all right all forward and so we paddled our way and got through the second wave and and I felt like yes we did it and I forgot about the third wave and so we went over and we'd all relaxed and that wave grabbed us like it was a sumo wrestler and it threw the boat up in the air and threw me back from whence we came I hadn't read the water. I hadn't really paid attention. I, you know, I had all of the understanding, but the truth is, in my excitement to actually do what it was that I was supposed to do, I failed to apply what I understood to what I was actually doing. And far too often, I think the same thing is true in our lives as we read this book, that we understand the concepts, we've ingested the truth that it contains, but somehow it fails to go from here to here. We get it cognitively. We might even believe it in our hearts, but we don't do it with our hands. We don't live it with our, with our words and with our bodies. And, and if it doesn't move to that point, if it doesn't just go from being a cognitive exercise, an academic exercise, or an emotional experience, then it is of no good. Our lives are being founded. Faith is founded upon the authority of God's word. It's meant to come into our hearts to, to permeate the entirety of our being that it might dictate the lives that we live. So the people, in light of this understanding, they, they make a promise, they make a, a binding agreement that carries a promise and a curse. We see that in, in chapter 10, verse 29. All these join their fellow Israelites and nobles. We bind themselves with a curse and an oath. It's a cause and effect thing. The truth is that they're not saying that, that lightning is going to strike you if you don't do this. I, you hear people say that, you know. Hey, I'm coming into the church. You might want to step away from me. You know? Well, first of all, if God's going to strike you with lightning, I'm going to trust that he has good enough aim that he can hit you. 
But you know that it's something that struck me as I was reading the text and thinking about the truth of Scripture. You realize that ultimately that it's not generally God that comes down and determines to curse us. God has made us a promise. Now be careful because I know there are some of you going, Ah, Pastor Jeremy just went heretical. It's not true. God has made a promise to us and he's invited us to walk in that promise, right? This is throughout scripture. If you walk in this way, if you do these things, these things will happen to you. The curse, though, is always this. If you fail to do these things, none of that's going to happen and this is going to happen. It's really a warning. It's like when when you have a kid and and you tell your child, hey, don't put your finger in the electric socket. I know it looks like it might fit, but you shouldn't put it in there. And the kid keeps putting their finger in the electric socket. Did you curse the kid to get shocked? Maybe you should have put the little thingies in there. But in reality, no, you didn't. Your Your kid made a decision. And that decision carried consequences. That's kind of how we learn, isn't it? That we do things, we find out, that that really hurt. I shouldn't do that again. There's a cause and effect thing that goes throughout the scriptures. If we choose to live in the truth of God's promise, God's blessing is there. God's blessing is always an option for us. It is always made available for us. If we but turn from our wicked ways, if we but turn from our own selfishness, and if we would orient our lives to live in the truth of his promise under the authority of his word, God will bless us. The curse from Genesis 3 and the fall has always been the result of our failure to follow God's lead and choosing to go our own way. To abandon God's word is to abdicate the blessing of God in favor of our own curse. To abandon faithfulness to God's word is to abdicate the blessing of God in favor of our own curse. Living our faith through the truth of God's word will result in the experience of the blessing of God's favor and faithfulness. As we faithfully follow the Lord, we experience his goodness and his faithfulness. But when we leave our faith, it will result in a return to the curse that we ourselves have earned. It's not that God curses us. It's that we leave the blessing behind. Faith, though, is meant to be practiced that we might live in the truth of God's promise by the standards of his word. So where do we start? I would argue throughout Scripture the truth is always the same, that faith always starts right where you are. Faith starts in the here and the now, in whatever season of life that you find yourself in. While the people promised to follow the law of the Lord, all of the law of the Lord, their focus was on the most recent failures. One of the reasons I don't read verses 30 through um, the end of the chapter is that it focuses on things that really don't matter to us. Things that don't apply to us. Things like marrying strange women and men in their context and and, and things that that reflected their culture of the day, but they focused on their primary things that were drawing them away. And you and I need to do the same thing. As we regularly come to the Lord and reorient ourselves to be faithful to his word, we need to be evaluating where we have gone off course and reorient ourselves in those seasons, in those points to where the Lord would have us to go. Sure, we want to apply all of it. Sure, we want, we want to see people's whole lives come into to alignment with God's word. 
But how do we do anything in life if not one step at a time? Generally, it, things don't happen one snap your fingers, it's done. It, it's a process of faithfully stepping into the life God has called us to live. Wherever we find ourselves today, there is always some area of our lives where we can move towards greater faithfulness to the Lord in light of his word. I'm reminded as I look at these verses as well about faith starting where we are, that the completion of one work of the Lord will always make way for another. The completion of the wall wasn't the end of their journey of faith. It wasn't that they got to a point and they could just rest and say, we're done. The completion of the wall was simply the beginning of the next phase of their faithful journey as the Lord called them forward. It was a new beginning. And I've been saying this for the better part of two years now, but I will say it again and I will continue to say it as long as God gives me the chance to stand before his people. I believe that God is desiring to make some new beginnings here in Seymour, Indiana both in our individual lives and together corporately as a church, as families. God has shown himself faithful in this community through this congregation for the better part of two centuries now. He has been faithful to the people of this church day by day. And there are numerous examples of this church being faithful to him as we reach out to the broken world around us. But we ourselves are broken people. And as Isaiah noted, in the presence of the holy, we are a people of unclean lips. And if we are honest in our evaluation, there are examples in times where we as individuals and as a church have failed to follow as faithfully as we should. And our families, our congregation, and our community at large has suffered for it. So my question that I I had to ask as I was looking through this passage is, what if What if we had such a document as what these people signed together available today? What if we were to come together and were to boldly as the people of God to declare the authority of God's word for our lives and our desire to live faithfully in it? Who among us would be bold enough to come forward much like the people of the God in the book of Nehemiah and affix their seal or their name to it? Well, you know that if I'm asking you, we have such a document. You may notice there are four stands before you, so I'm going to invite you to respond this morning as we close. And I'm going to to read to you what the document says. It's not a legally binding document, but it is a symbolic act that we are renewing our commitment to the Word of God as the authority for our lives and for practice as a church. It says this, we promise... As the people of God gather together this 21st day of October, because it was supposed to be last week, we'll have to change that, in the year of our Lord, 2018, at First Baptist Church in Seymour, Indiana, we reaffirm our faith and do solemnly promise to live our lives in keeping with the word of the Lord. We promise to strive to follow him in in, in the favor of his faithfulness for our good and his glory, knowing that failure to follow will bring the fruit of our failure. We promise to live different lives that our community and the world might see that he is the great God. Worthy of all praise, here and now, we we whose names are affixed to this document, along with our families, commit to the, the work of our hands and the fruit of our lives to the praise and glory of our Savior and King, Jesus, who is the Christ. 
So we're going to sing a concluding song this morning, Take My Life and Let It Be. And here at the front, we have four different stations with some pens. And the document says exactly what I've just read to you. Once again, it's not a legal document. But I would argue that it is a sign of faith and faithfulness that we are agreeing together that we will follow through with what the word of the Lord says and that it will be the authority in our actions. And I think it's important for us from time to time to be willing to put our money where our mouth is, to be willing to affix our seal and say that my word is my bond and I am bonding myself to you and you to me and we will walk in faithfulness as the people of God in Seymour, Indiana to be faithful to his word. As we sing this song this morning, I invite you to come forward if God so leads and affix your name to join us as we faithfully attempt to follow and live in the promise of the Lord. Let's stand as we sing together.